Hello, and welcome to the 404 Media Podcast, where we bring you unparalleled access to hidden worlds, both online and IRL. 404 Media is a journalist-founded company and needs your support. To subscribe, go to 404media.co. As well as other bonus content, subscribers can hear us answer their questions in future podcasts. Ask us anything you want on podcast at 404media.co. I'm your host, Joseph, and with me for the first 404 Media Podcast of 2024 are my fellow co-founders, Sam Cole. Hello. And Jason Kebler. Hey, Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you for listening. We started the new year um, with a few stories straight away. This first one, real estate visionary, allegedly behind massive viral Airbnb fraud charge. Some listeners may be familiar with like the contours of this story, and we will get into what is new, specifically that this guy was charged, writing everything in that court record. But um, Jason, before we get into that, this all relates to a 2019 piece from Vice, right? An investigation there. What was that story and sort of what was the reaction for those who don't know? Yeah, so uh, we didn't work on this story back when we were at Vice, but it happened while we were there. Uh, it was another part of Vice. Um, a reporter, Ali Conti, had uh, booked an Airbnb somewhere. And when she went to go check in, she got a message that was basically like, hey, this apartment is no longer available, so we've moved you to another apartment. And the other apartment was like really shitty, essentially. And it's not even clear if it existed. Um, And so she was a victim of what's essentially known as a double booking scam, Mm -hmm. where... uh, I mean, it's a little bit complicated, but basically uh, people are booked into these Airbnbs that may or may not exist, and then they're canceled on at the last minute. And then the host sort of like undermines the customer when they go to complain. They like make up some excuse saying that the customer didn't show up or, or whatever. And over the years, Airbnb has been like pretty bad at giving people refunds just as a practice uh, th- this has changed as a result of Ali's story. But, yeah. It, um, it was at the time I'd say, I mean, they're still bad sometimes now, but at the time it was especially bad. Right. Right. Um, and so she did this like huge investigation into this scam uh, and like the fact that it was happening to thousands of people all over the country published the story and it was massive. Like as, as far as, um, stories about airbnb goes like i can't think of a bigger story about an airbnb scam i think it's probably like the most uh infamous airbnb scam uh, that's happened and like right after it was published brian chesky who's the ceo of airbnb sent an an email to everyone at the company being like we're going to do all of these reforms um they started verifying all of the millions of uh of listings that they had to ensure that they actually existed, which is pretty shocking that they hadn't done that already. Right. Uh, but basically it like led to like all, all of these changes and um, just like anecdotally, I think it was maybe the highest trafficking article that vice published that year. Like it was, it just went very, very, very viral. So it was, um, it was like in the public consciousness back in 2019. Yeah. I think it like, a lot of people related to it because even if they weren't even if they hadn't fallen victim to this particular scam 
a ton of people have had weird ass Airbnb experiences, especially at this time before they verified um, all of the listings, right? So as you say, that piece, which I'll link in the show notes called I Accidentally Uncovered a Nationwide Scam on Airbnb. Um, I don't know the particulars of particulars of this but if you scroll right to the bottom of the article there is uh an update note where the author writes that the morning after this article was published the fbi contacted vice about the claims made above um i don't know anything beyond that although i'd say is that several years later as in now we have the person behind this allegedly behind this being charged a man called shrey goel and he was identified in the original vice piece through property records. Basically, uh, Conti found that, well, a lot of these victims were being ushered around the same sort of building, so maybe the scammer owns the building, and then went through property records and basically found this person. Um, and now, Shrey has been charged with wire fraud and aggravated uh, identity theft obviously very very serious crimes um and while the original vice piece laid out sort of the human experience of it and the contours this court record is insane just in how it explains the scale of what shrey was allegedly uh, allegedly doing a hundred properties across much much of the country including california colorado illinois texas tennessee wisconsin many more states and him and his crew allegedly booked a whopping 10,000 reservations through the plot uh, through the platform netting an incredible 7 million dollars which you know we absolutely did not know about that uh, until this you you said it is a little bit complicated, Jason, and I agree because you're reading the court record and it says it's a double booking scam and then it keeps looping on itself and it makes it sound a lot more complicated than it actually is. But as you say, somebody tries to book a room, they can't, they get diverted elsewhere and that's basically it. And in some cases, Shrey and his crew allegedly, you know, they were put on Airbnb um a property that they weren't affiliated with, one that belonged to somebody else, right? And then you, they try and turn up and they get a call, the, the guest does, and they have to go to one that, that Shrey actually does own. Or in some cases, it was even properties that the crew didn't, they, they, they didn't even exist. Uh, so they would just make up listings and then direct people um, over there. There is one section, sorry, go ahead, Jason. I think the complicated thing to me is like, I see double booking scam and I'm like, well, the customer who is scammed can just request a refund. So like how, how did they end up making money? And that's, that's kind of like the complicated bit. Is like, yes. And uh, that's, that's the yeah. crux of it because the way they got money is what you alluded to was Airbnb's shitty, uh, refund system or lack thereof, as in the customers would very understandably request refunds where they'd end up when they would end up in a crappy apartment. And Shrey or his crew would allegedly then talk to Airbnb and make up stories about no, the guests didn't, they were never there, or, or they or they did stay successfully, so their complaint is invalid, or they were actually the problem here. And they would convince Airbnb to not issue the refund meaning that Shrey and his crew got to keep the money. That's basically how they actually generated the money. Um, let me just, even though we put it simply, let me just read out this one paragraph, which has three points about how they did it. This is straight from the court record. 
They provided the guest with a false excuse as to why a booked property was unavailable. They cancelled the reservation but resisted the assessment of any cancellation fees. They convinced the guest to move to an alternative property by falsely representing the alternative you know, as an upgrade, that sort of thing, and denied funds. And then finally, they lied to the rental platforms, that being Airbnb, and there's a, a, another one mentioned in there as well, about the guest or reservation to keep money from guests entitled to refunds. At the same, it, like, it's a complicated, elaborate scam at one moment. And at the same time, it's super simple in that they just go, no, don't give them their money and, and give it to us uh, instead. Yeah, I. Uh, this is semi-unrelated, but I think uh, anyone who's tried to get a refund from Airbnb during that time period probably has a similar story. Um, I I went to an Airbnb in LA before I moved here and we got to the Airbnb and it was disgusting. Like I, I've stayed in a lot of really, really bad places and I'm not someone who complains a lot, but there was like food everywhere. Uh, the bed was had dirty sheets on it. The couch was literally made of duct tape and it smelled like cigarette smoke. And it had, not only did it smell like cigarette smoke, but they had all of these candles that were still lit that were designed to mask the smell of tobacco smoke which is not something i even knew existed lovely uh and so we called airbnb to complain and rather than just being like hey like here's your money back this is crazy like i sent all of these pictures all of this stuff it was like a three-hour process where i was on the phone with them they said that they were going to send out like a an air purifier and they also wanted uh me to like this was at the peak COVID, by the way. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to bring the host to the uh, apartment and secretly record him and what? get him to admit that it smelled like smoke. Like what? straight up. This is, I mean, this is a customer service rep. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not, first of all, I feel sick being in this building because it smells like so much smoke. Second of all, like it's peak COVID. I, I don't want to like be meet with this person that I don't know. Third of all, I'm not going to secretly record him. Yeah. Uh, like, like, it an was crazy. Airbnb customer rep is trying to get you to do an undercover mission. <laughs> it was crazy. It was, it was absolutely crazy. And we did, I was like, this is nuts. And we were supposed to stay there for a month. So it was thousands of dollars. And I was just like, like after eventually they gave us a refund back. But we had nowhere to stay that night. Like we were in LA with nowhere to stay. So, and it was, I don't know. I just like had been using Airbnb instead of hotels at that point. So I, then I went and booked another Airbnb at like an, uh, an inflated price. So I think that for a long time, this was sort of like Airbnb's MO where it was like really hard to cancel outside of the specific cancellation processes and really hard to get refunds. Uh, because I think they wanted to be host friendly, maybe, but um, it it ended up being that if you got into like a bad situation, you would get stuck on this customer service loop for a really long time. And so I can see how he got how he made seven million dollars right from people who were just like fuck it, like I can't go back and forth with tricky customer service or, or yeah. I don't have documentation or whatever. Yeah, so it's not just the Airbnb 
so so the Airbnb refund mechanism is facilitating this. And then it's also the lack of verification in that Shrey and his crew were allegedly able to create all these fake accounts. And it's kind of clever in that they would have names uh, that were couples often. I'm just trying to bring up uh, one in front of me. Here we go. Like uh, Annie and Chase, Becky and Andrew. And I swear when you go through Airbnb, like a ton of them are like presumably rich couples right <laughs> who were who rich enough to own a property to be able to rent out something we're never gonna be able to do but that is what Shrey and his crew allegedly did so there's the refund mechanism and the verification stuff which as you say was somewhat addressed by the uh, what happened after the vice article just moving to Shrey specifically uh you know i was going through his website his social media that sort of thing describes himself as a visionary uh, says he works in real estate, AI, entrepreneurship, you know, very uh, typical sort of hustle culture. Uh, I mean, just one line here from his website. AI is everywhere, but it's not just about knowing it exists. It's about leveraging it. Dive into how I've integrated AI into my daily grind and how you can do the same. Um, the unlocking real estate section does not mention running a $7 million Airbnb scam. Um I did just go to check to read out the pseudo statement that he tweeted that I found. Uh, he didn't respond to Instagram message. I tried to book an appointment through his calendar app to to talk to him, and he never turned up or never sent me the link, so I wasn't able to get comment that way. Um, but I went to just go check his tweet, but he's actually deleted it now. So fortunately, we have a copy in the article here. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes on and on. But he does just say, yesterday was an incredibly tough day for me. While I can't publicly speak about the circumstances, I was heading to my condo feeling sorry for myself. And he tells a very, very long story. That was on December 30th, uh, I think. So he hasn't commented on the charges specifically, but he has cryptically you know, posted seemingly um, about them. As for what happens now, I mean, he's uh, he's not behind bars, it seems, right? He's out tweeting and all that sort of thing. And then um, just to be fair to Airbnb, to wrap it up, this is what they said in the statement. Airbnb is built on trust and bad actors have no place in our community. We supported the US Attorney's Office and the FBI throughout their investigation to help ensure accountability. And we are thankful to them for their work i mean i guess now we just see what happens to his case but uh i'm very interested if listeners have any other scams that are happening on airbnb to write in uh with those i've already had people email me saying hey how do i get in touch with airbnb's customer service i'm like do what <laughs> i'm the wrong person to ask about that but uh maybe you should try airbnb uh yourself all right let's leave that there and then after the break, uh, we're going to talk about uh, what's going on in North Carolina and Montana when it comes to porn access, maybe porn bans and Pornhub specifically. It's a, it's a big mess. We'll be uh, right back after this. So my 404 media colleagues probably remember when I got doxxed, which was a nightmare for everyone involved, mostly me, my name, address, phone number, social security number, and a bunch of other information was leaked online, which led to all these spam calls, harassment, threats, etc. 
even if you're not a journalist, a sophisticated network of data brokers is making your personal information available to the highest bidder. I fixed my problem with Delete Me, which is a service that basically looks you up on all these people search websites and data broker websites and formally gets you removed from them. The subscription service removes your personal info from the largest search databases on the web, helping prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I'm a real Delete Me customer. I've been using it for more than five years. Sign up is so easy. You just go to their website and then they send you personalized privacy reports showing you what info they found, where they found it, and how they got it removed. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now with a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash 404media and use promo code 404media at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash 404media and enter code 404media at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash 404media, code 404media. And we're back. Sam wrote this one. North Carolina and Montana just lost access to Pornhub. Um, Before we get into the nitty gritty of how we came to this, I mean, it's kind of in the headline, but Sam, what is the immediate impact here? Like people can't access Pornhub from those states or what's happening? Yeah. So if you're trying to visit Pornhub or any of the sites that are owned by Pornhub's parent company, which used to be called MindGeek, but now it's called ALO, um, which is like a lot of sites. It's like RedTube, YouPorn, Browsers. Um, they own a bunch of stuff. Um, if you try to go to any of those and you're in Montana or North Carolina and a handful of other states, which we can talk about in a minute, um, what you see is a page that's a video of performer Sheree DeVille talking about how your elected officials have passed a law that says age verification is required for porn sites and that Pornhub is opting out of servicing those sites altogether. Yes. So to clarify, so the reason that people in those states can't access Pornhub is of course related to the law, but it's not a direct consequence or as in Pornhub is the one saying, you know what, we don't want to do this. We're just not going to let you access from those states because the state law is now saying, well, you need to like upload your driver's license or whatever mechanism it may be. That's is that right? Yeah. The the what Pornhub has said is, um, I mean, they're saying that there's not a real solution being offered by these laws. The laws are very vague. Um, they don't say what the sites should be implementing to verify age. Um, they age just, being over twenty one or tw- or eighteen or what is it uh, 18, exactly? Eighteen so minors, but um, actually, I mean, it's it's even it's so vague that it's like you have to prevent minors from being on your site, and it's up to the sites how they want to do that. Um, right. But there's no support on how to actually make that happen and keep you from you know getting sued by someone who decides that their kids saw porn too soon and wants to take it to court based on this law. Yeah. Um, is X hamster part of that Pornhub umbrella yeah, or is that? No, they're not. They're not part of Pornhub's um, like sibling sites, but X hamster is its own thing. And they did implement a age revocation system called Yoti, 
mm. which Pornhub has set up in, um, I think they have, or maybe they, maybe it's just X Amps, right? I think in Louisiana, we tested that uh, at um, Motherboard, I believe, where we mm-hmm. were trying to upload our ID. Or I was trying to get my ID to work <laughs> through Yo which is actually a really hard, complicated process. Could you um, just explain that process briefly? Like, so yeah. you you went to the website and it asks for your ID. Uh, what what are the steps? What, what I happens? Think I think Sam wrote that article, but I did the process. Like, I, I oh, I see. I like I, I did yeah. that while she wrote the article. I've done um, it too, but yeah. Oh, you did it too. Okay, yeah. I mean, because I just was, remember it, it took me like fifty us, yeah. steps. It was yeah, like, so oh long. my god, I cannot believe this is this is like how you have to access porn if you live. It in scans these your face. Now. Like it's yeah. biometrics. It's not just like here's your ID. It's like it's comparing your face to your ID to a database of other information about you. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Were either of you successful with that? As in, did you get access to the porn? As in, eventually. Did... Well, like why was it difficult? Tries. Like, it, like it wouldn't recognize your face, or what? Why was it difficult? Um, for me, it was like it just kept failing. It was like you failed the the face check. <laughs> mm-hmm. Face card declined. Um, but yeah, it was just over and over being like, you can't, you can't go forward because we can't something about your camera, your lighting or like the angle, or you look different than you did in your ID. Um, I don't know. I was just kept saying failed. Jason, what was you also, did you ever get through? Yeah, I got through, I think I tried both. You can do it on the, the computer with a webcam and you can do it through an app. And I tried on both and it was arduous on both. It was like, first you have to download the app. Then you have to accept the terms of service. Then you have to like, you know, log in. Then you have to take a photo of your ID. Then you have to turn on the camera and scan your face and like have the lighting correct, as Sam was saying, and compare that to the photo that you took of your ID. Then you have to agree to like additional terms of service, blah, blah, blah. And it's like they do say throughout that they are going to delete this info once you've been verified. Like the way that they're trying to do it is in such a way as to not provide your identity into a a constant database. They're trying to like detect that you are over 18 and then give you a token, I believe right? that gives you access, but then they claim that they delete this stuff. Um, Still a very legitimate privacy and security concern. It is, yeah. and it's uh, Yoti is also used by um, like a lot of like welfare agencies, like state agencies that are trying to verify identity for um, for like COVID checks and stuff like that. COVID checks being like um, COVID relief funds, things like that, and like unemployment things like that. And it's not the only company that does it, but we did some articles at motherboard about the types of identity verification companies that exist out there. And all of them had like pretty serious privacy concerns. A lot of them were just making tons and tons of money from state agencies, like getting weird contracts and so on and so forth. And so, I mean, Sam already said it, but my opinion is like Pornhub is basically like, we don't want to deal with this. We don't agree with it ethically. Like we don't agree with sort of what, what is happening in these states. And so we're not, we're just going to, we're just going to shut down in those states. Yeah. Right. They're just going dark out of like protests basically. Um, sure. Which is, uh, you know, different for Pornhub to be publicly protesting a law. It's a big deal. How, how do you mean? Because they're a company of such size, or what do you mean exactly? 
Yeah, I mean, they they have waded into politics in the past um, somewhat. They they've lobbied in the past, but to be so publicly um, protesting something is new for them. They are usually like the happy end of year roundup Pornhub. Like they they want the PR to be good and posy. And I think at this point they're kind of like, well, we're backed into a corner with some of this stuff. We can't keep like seeding ground to these laws that we know are um, not right and are going to affect the entire industry. So we're going to just plant our stake and say, too bad, no more. Figure figure out something else. Get around it with a VPN. <laughs> they don't say that, but like that's what people are doing. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of different. It's a different tack for them to just block someone from the site altogether, which it does have an impact on traffic. Like people just go to X videos. Like they just, which is part of their point. They're like people are going to go to less regulated, less moderated sites instead mm-hmm. of the one that has really strong moderation right now. Um, you you mentioned VPNs, it. so. Uh, I think you went through some like Google Google Trends data. I think like what what was the data around VPNs showing you? Yeah, I mean, I just did like a. I mean, it's a little bit like it's pretty basic, but it's just go, if you go on Google Trends and search VPN, it shows you. Like it does this in general for any search terms, but it shows you the states. Like it lights up the states where it's popular, and just without fail, every time one of these sites goes down or one of these laws gets enacted and sites start requiring age verification, VPN gets popular in those sites or in in those states. So it's just, it's like such a funny direct line to you've banned porn effectively in this state without having to jump through all these hoops and people are getting around it immediately by downloading VPNs, which you can spoof your, your, your location and, you know, make it look like you're coming from somewhere else, which is how I, how I see, you know, that these states are, um, that the sites are down in these states. So they just go to VPN and do it the other way around, go to Montana, right. my IP. Um, talking about these states, just briefly on the law, with North Carolina, didn't they like sneak this in by attaching it to an unrelated law? Uh, I'm using the word sneak. That's not in your article. That's my pejorative. But like, that's what it reads like to me, right? Well, what, yeah. what happened there? Um, yeah, it got in through a much longer, more boring bill about adding a computer science requirement to high school graduation. <laughs> it's just so bizarre that it went in that way. I assume that's the only way that they figured they could get it through. Um, it was sneaky. I would say it was sneaky. Um, just kind of passing it in as part of this other law about graduating with a computer science credit. <laughs> um, yeah, and then in a there, really like, weird place to attach it. Yeah, and then you're talking about pornography and access to it for minors. And it's like, what? Like this is not even not related at all. Very strange. And then um, this follows similar stuff in Louisiana. But because of course it's not just North Carolina and Montana, they're just the ones the news today, right? Uh I'm a little bit unclear on was Louisiana the first or were there more before this? Like briefly sort what's yeah. the the state by state timeline there? Louisiana was the first. Um, and that was in that was last year. Uh that was right. this time last year. Uh since then it's been done in uh Virginia, Arkansas, Mississippi, Utah was a really big one. Texas and now North Carolina and 
Montana and Texas actually is a little different than the others because theirs requires porn sites to show this big, like it was required to be 14 point font. Um, this big warning that says the, the Texas health and human services has, is warning you that porn causes like brain damage or something like affects oh, brain yes. function, right. um, which is, re- which is not actually true or there's no scientific basis for it yeah so but the porn sites are required to put it on there it's almost like a surgeon general's warning if it was totally like made up it's crazy (laughs) um but yeah those are the eight eight states now that have this uh these laws in place for age verification for porn wild um jason i think you want to make a point about how this applies to social media maybe yeah so um Age verification on the internet is a thing that was tried like back in the 90s and it didn't really work on porn sites. And then there's, you know, many, many, many different federal bills that have attempted to implement age verification for social media and things like this. And uh, over the last like year and a half, these efforts have really stepped up. And I think that they like the industry has found a place where it can win, which is these porn age verification laws. Um, You know, they're being pushed by sort of like conservative moral panic type groups, but they're also being pushed by these age verification technology, uh, technology companies. Like there is a lobbying group specifically uh, for like the age verification industry, which uses the, you know, facial recognition bio, like, you know, comparative um technologies we were talking about earlier there's like a concerted industry that's pushing this and there are various bills that have thankfully all been killed so far that would implement really similar things for social media in general like not just porn but to get a facebook account like you would need a real id and that wouldn't be something that um you know, Facebook implements because their Facebook has implemented like an ID system in the past or like a real name system in the past. But basically like a parental consent situation, a like federal law that prov- like requires social media companies to collect this type of information from its users. And that's really scary. And I think it, that there's a, a slippery slope situation where it's like if we're seeing these types of laws catch on for porn all over the country. And it's not a far jump from there to be like, you need an ID to make a Facebook account. You need an ID to use TikTok. You're not allowed to use TikTok in specific States. Like we're, I think, I think Wyoming banned TikTok possibly. Don't quote me on that. Um, but, but do you think that that slippery slope is like, of course it's a hypothetical, but do you think it's one that may actually have, uh, some weight behind it like that could actually happen and it may be even just one or two of these states or something well i think that it could happen and it's happening in other countries as well it's like the united kingdom just passed a law that's pretty similar to to what we're talking about for social media australia is considered something similar and the difference is that we have the first amendment here and i'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on this um but the excellent, excellent website TechDirt has been writing about this constantly over the last year. Um, like every new bill that's introduced, all of the sort of lobbying that's happening, and they are making inroads with politicians in, in terms of like getting more of these bills introduced. 
And of, of course, I do think that, yes, like we could see states starting to pass laws saying you need an ID to have a Facebook account because we've seen time and time again that it's really easy to get certain states to do crazy shit if you have good lobbyists or if you frame it through a we must protect the children lens. And I think Mike Masnick over at TechDirt has been making really strong arguments that these laws are unconstitutional uh, because they're sort of prov- their government censorship of legal content. I mean, it seems very clear. Yeah, I mean, it seems yeah. very clear to yeah. violate. It's That's also much. like in the it's in the text of the bill, like very clearly. It's like it's a random number. It's like thirty three percent, thirty three point three percent, or something of the content on your site if it's if it's explicit, um, or if it can be categorized as harmful to minors, which <laughs> you know. That's so broad. a lot of stuff. Um, right. That could be a viral TikTok trend. Yeah, or that Twitter, be, whatever. That yeah. could be TikTok. That could be Twitter. That could be a lot of Facebook, a lot of most of Reddit. Um, certainly, like, th- if we just want to use Twitter as an example, definitely 33% of Twitter is porn at this point. It's like, so the result is either you're going to have to have an ID to get on Twitter, which Twitter's not going to do, or Twitter's going to kick off all anything considered harmful quote-unquote harmful to minors well i don't know maybe twitter would you know they already they already love the blue tick on twitter maybe you know verification of all of the sites who would actually entertain it i think twitter is the one that might actually do it it would still be absolutely insane for sure right you you (laughs) phrase it a lot better than me don't get me wrong (laughs) i still think it's crazy yeah you know reddit won't do that so they'll kick off all, they've already been cracking down more on sex and explicit content. So that's where that'll go. Um, so it's just like, you can kind of like, just like Jason just laid out, you can see the path to where this goes if it keeps going this direction. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're banning like innocuous books and in lots of States. And so it's really, it's really easy for me to see like an, a similar sort of concerted, lobbying effort from a think of the children type group being like we need to ban tiktok we need to you know prevent any child from being on tiktok regardless of what the federal law says uh we we want to make something that's more strict than you know federal laws which often say you have to be 13 or in some cases a little bit younger than that or you need parental permission and, and those like aren't super enforced as someone who had a Facebook before I was 13, I think. Whoa. Or a MySpace, at least. <laughs> crimes uh, crimes on air. Uh, all right. We will keep a, an eye on that story, of course, as it inevitably grows and develops and maybe spreads to other states. If you're listening to the free version of the podcast, I'll now play us out. But if you're a subscriber, we're going to talk about Wicker, the... I was going to say really popular. I actually don't know how popular it was. It was very popular among drug traffickers, uh, encrypted app, which, as we reported today, is now dead. So if you want to hear our our thoughts on that app, how Sam used it, how I used it, presumably how Jason used it as well, um, you can subscribe and gain access to that content at 404media.co. 
As a reminder, 404 Media is journalist-founded and supported by subscribers. If you wish to subscribe to 404 Media and directly support our work, please go to 404media.co. You'll get unlimited access to our articles and an ad-free version of this podcast. You'll also get to listen to the subscribers-only section where we talk about a bonus story each week. Another way to support us is by leaving a five-star rating and review for the podcast. That stuff really helps us out. This has been 404 Media. We will see you again next week.